0: not everybody loves a mission statement. Maybe you have had the privilege of working with an organization that spent a lot of time and effort crafting this meticulous and beautiful and often very wordy statement of identity and purpose only to have it printed out on cardstock and plastering it up on walls, sticking it on the top of the official stationery where no one will ever see it or pay attention to it. Just about every corporation has one of these. They all say the right things, many of the same things about a company's deep concern for their customers and their employees and their shareholders and the earth itself and nine times out of ten as we know these lofty ideas that we slap up onto the wall have very little to do with the endless round of transactions and decision making that companies and organizations and individuals engage in on a daily basis. Well I've been thinking about mission statements a little bit, because this is the time of year in Trinity's life, the time of our annual meeting, the release of our annual report, which is hot off the presses this morning. This is that time of year when we dig out Trinity's mission statement, now 35, 40 years old, and slap it on the inside front cover of this annual report, the yearly document that tells us how we're doing. Does anybody know it, out of curiosity? Anybody have Trinity's mission statement, like, tattooed up your arm, where you can just kind of, like, look down and refer to it, have it memorized? No hands. I will, I will say I am not entirely surprised. I had to look this thing up, and I, uh, you know, I run this place, but uh, yeah. We do have one, we do have a mission statement, and I quote, the parish of Trinity Episcopal Cathedral seeks to love and serve God, our people, the diocese, and the larger world by four things, worshiping through word, music, and action, Nurturing spiritual growth in young and old, by reaching out in mutual support of our diverse congregation and community, and fourth, by being active witnesses to the peace and promise of Jesus Christ in the world. That's not bad. That's 63 words I counted. It's a little longer than some mission statements I have known. I've seen ones that were even longer than that. And I feel like I owe a profound debt of gratitude to those who developed this mission statement for us a couple generations ago because one way of proofing the pudding of a church mission statement is seeing how well it holds up over time and this particular statement, this four-part mission statement of Trinity's identity has actually held up pretty well. We still do those four things. Forty years later, we worship in word, music, and action, we nurture spiritual growth, we reach out in mutual support, and we actively witness to the peace and promise of Christ in the world. That's, that's very churchy language. But it basically describes what I sometimes refer to as Trinity's four core practices, right? Worship, education, outreach, and hospitality. Those are the four things we do. That's the product we're selling, if you want to be crude about it. That's what we do. Sometimes you'll hear me use the language of uncommon warmth and holy compassion and intellectual curiosity and deep beauty. That's a way of branding those four things. But we know what we do, right? It's the same stuff that churches have been doing since Jesus flew off to heaven to the mount, on the Mount of Olives a couple thousand years ago, right? In the early church, they called those four things Latria, Kerygma, Koinonia, and diaconia. It's worship, teaching, fellowship, and service. That's what every church does, every church worth its salt, engages those practices, doesn't matter how liberal a church is, how conservative, how orthodox or progressive, right, that is bread and butter Christianity. Worship, worship teach, support and reach. It's like Christianity 101. Is that really Trinity's mission? Is, I mean, it's what we do, right? It's what we spend a lot of time doing. But is the stuff that we do the same thing as the reason that we exist? Is the product that we're selling synonymous with who we are. Not everybody thinks so. Simon Sinek is one, maybe you've heard of this guy, he's the the management and leadership guru whose TED talks have been watched on YouTube by like 45 million people, whatever. Start with the why. That's Simon Sinek's thesis. He says most individuals, most most organizations start with what, right? They start with what they do. Everybody knows what they do. Most of us, it's what we make, it's what we sell. We spend a lot of time producing the stuff that we do. I'm Trinity's dean, right? My what? is basically my job description. I preach, I supervise the staff, I fundraise, I network, I represent Trinity in the larger community. That's my what, it's what I do, it's what I spend my days doing. Jesus lays out his what, his work, what some scholars call Jesus' manifesto, his mission statement. He lays it out pretty clearly in this first sermon that he preaches in his hometown synagogue in Nazareth. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, he says, because God has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of God's favor. That's a, a slightly edited version of the Isaiah text that he's handed, Uh, Jesus edits the text and that, that, that edit of it may actually go back to Jesus himself. This is his mission, right? Preach, release, heal, and restore to set people free and proclaim God's favor. Look at those good, strong, active verbs. A corporate consultant would love this. That's a good, strong mission statement, and it's a heck of an opening line for Jesus' first sermon. That's what he does. Luke says he sat down. That doesn't mean he sat down in the pews. That means he sat down in the teaching seat, right? Jesus is preparing to preach, and he begins to say, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's a great opening line. The sermon does not end well as those of you who know this story will remember. We'll hear the rest of this story next week. They try to throw him off a cliff when he finishes this sermon. So things don't don't go great. It's a great consolation story for every preacher I know that even Jesus preached a dud every once in a while. On the the back of your bulletin, there's a lovely painting of Jesus preaching in his hometown synagogue. And if you turn to it, I love this painting because everybody in the congregation looks so bored. I mean, they are all like falling asleep. So if the Son of God could not preach a rousing sermon and it was so bad they threw him off a cliff, I feel like I've got to pass. But, things start really well, right? Things start really well for Jesus. He claims this beautiful line from Hebrew scripture that he's been taught. He pulls that line from tradition. He identifies it as his work. This is his what. This is his mission. This is what his life is to be about. Most of us know what our what is. We know what we do. We can open our date books, our agendas, our phone calendars and see what we do. Fewer of us know how. We do what we do. Some organizations can tell you that, right? They can tell you how they do what they do. They call, you, call it a, a value proposition or a proprietary process or a unique selling point, right? This is, what, this is the thing that I have that my competitors do not have. Every church sells, you know, roughly the same product. We do about the same stuff. But every church does it slightly differently. We all have our unique brand, our particular way of doing it. This is why you should give your money to me and not to Pastor Who's It down the street, right? It's, it's a little harder sometimes to figure out what makes you unique. Supposedly, this is the work that strong, capable leaders and strategic individuals and effective organizations can do really well. Figure out what makes you different and then brand of the heck out of that thing. Simon Sinek says that even that, even identifying what makes you different, even that's not enough. Your what, what you do, is not really your mission statement. How you do it, your brand, that's not really your mission statement. Simon Sinek maintains that very few organizations and individuals have discovered what lies at the center of this process, which is not what you do, and it's not how you do it, it's why why you do what you do, the reason that gets you up in the morning. Your why is your purpose, right? It's your cause. It's a, oftentimes, it's a deeply held belief. It's what takes us out of the realm of active verbs and into the realm of belief statements, creedal propositions, right? Your why is a deeply spiritual question. It's something that lies at the core, not of what you do, but who you are, what you believe. Jesus says, the Spirit of God is upon me. That is a faith proposition. Jesus believes that to be true. It's not what he does, that's why he is. According to the Gospel writer Luke, from day one, Jesus has clarity of purpose and singularity of vision. He knows why he exists. He knows what it is God has called him to accomplish. And everything that Jesus does in the Gospels goes back to that core conviction. That's his why. God has anointed me, he says. That's his how. That's his brand. And healing people, working miracles, casting out demons, arguing with the Pharisees, preaching controversial sermons that get him thrown off cliffs, right? That's the what. That's what Jesus spends his days doing. At Trinity, we're pretty clear about what we do, right? We've got a lot of programs, a lot of ministries, and they all pretty much fall into those four basic categories, right? Worship, teaching, fellowship, and reaching out. We're starting to get clearer about How we do that stuff. What makes us different? What sets us apart from any other church down the street? Here we emphasize deep beauty and intellectual curiosity and uncommon warmth and holy compassion without an agenda because we know it's not our job to be all things to all people. We do have a particular brand, we have a particular way of doing the work that God calls every church to do. We have a a story to tell to the nations, to borrow a hymn from an old gospel hymn, a phrase from an old gospel hymn. We tell that story in a particular way. We emphasize certain things. We turn down the volume on other sorts of things. The way that Jesus kind of gently edits the prophet Isaiah, uses ancient words to say a new thing that God needs to say through him. Here at Trinity, we're interested in being a resource and a place of healing for people who have been hurt by religion, people who have experienced the toxic side of Christianity. We're interested in asking hard questions, and not settling for easy answers. Sometimes that means that we emphasize doubt and uncertainty over a rock-solid faith. We're a little more formal. We dress up our worship a little bit. That's because we believe that it's really important. We think it works. We think it matters. That's not everybody's cup of tea. I'm okay with that, right? That happens to be how we do it here in this time and place, This particular iteration of American culture and if that's not what you're looking for, I am totally fine with that, right? We don't take that personally. There are a lot of incredible religious communities out there in the world. This one may not be your cup of tea. That's fine. We don't have a corner on the work of God here. But getting to our why, that's harder. Ironically, why is a really hard question for churches sometimes. That's counterintuitive. You'd think with all of the the faith language we truck in, we'd have an easier time wrapping our minds around why we exist. And maybe that's the problem, right? An abundance of riches. There's such a wealth of faith propositions and belief terminology in Christianity that pulling out an authentic and engaged why actually becomes kind of complicated. But this is a question that I've been kind of thinking about lately in my own life, certainly, right? Like, what is my why? What am I here for? But also in terms of this, this crazy, beautiful organization that I am blessed to lead, this magnificent cathedral that has been standing tall in the city of Portland for over a century and a half, a community that I hope someday to hand off to another generation in at least as good a shape as I inherited it in, if not better. I inherited a church community that knew what it was about before I ever arrived on the scene. Trinity knows what we're here to do. But sometimes articulating that thing, like getting language around that thing, the center of Simon Sinek's golden circle, why we exist, Sometimes that's a tricky question when you get right down to it. There are a lot of different ways to articulate why we think we're here. Because the reason that we exist is not to do all the stuff that we do. The reason that we exist is not the programs, it's not the classes, it's not the outreach work, the music program, the uncommon warmth, and holy compassion and intellectual curiosity and deep beauty. All of that stuff is means to an end. At Trinity, there is a core belief, a faith proposition, if you like, and it animates and undergirds everything that we do. And that proposition is something like this We believe that an encounter with the living God has the power to change your life. And ironically, that's the one thing we can't do. No church, no church can, can manufacture a genuine encounter with the living God. That is entirely God's word. It is out of my hands. Sometimes people encounter God through the programs and the ministries and the music and all that sort of stuff. That's great. Sometimes people encounter God in spite of all of that stuff. But encountering God is what we're about. We believe that it's possible. I believe that changed lives change lives. That when people are transformed, they transform their world. That's our why. That's why we do what we do. And until that happens for you, I have not done my job. Until you have experienced the transformation that Jesus offers you for yourself in your life, until the Spirit of the Lord God falls upon you, there is no point proclaiming release and recovery and setting people free. Everything Trinity does stems from this core conviction. Only God can transform a life and sometimes the best I can do is make sure I don't get in the way. Jesus says the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, God has anointed me, God has called me out, God has set me apart for a particular work and Jesus' work is this, to proclaim, to heal, to liberate, to celebrate, it's as clear a mission statement as you'll find on the front of any corporate brochure and 2000 years later our work has not changed that much. We are still in the business of setting people free and there are a gazillion different ways to do that. And once it happens to you, you are different. Changed people change the world. When you've tasted freedom, it's really hard to go back into captivity. How are you going to keep them down on the farm once they've seen Paris, right? I mean, that's basically the story of the whole Gospels, right? Setting people free through a transformative encounter, not with Perry, but with Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that we exist to do. And if that's never happened for you, I believe it's possible for you, and I think you need it. And who knows? Maybe today is the day. Maybe today's your day. Maybe today this scripture will be fulfilled in your hearing.